When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We love saving your money. We love companies doing their part to help to try to save the world. That's why we got to tell you about Ball and their manufacturing plant in Golden. Right now, they're looking for production technicians $27 an hour. You also get potential increase at 6, 12, and 18 months on the job. Comprehensive insurance, active the day of hire, 401k for retirement, and so much more. Many great benefits for working for a company like Ball. All you got to do is text Golden to 77222, and you'll get linked to their open positions. Or you can also go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for Golden. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD coffee is infused with both CBD and CBG and can be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, eight weeks. However much you need and however many cups you need a day is fine. Three or four cups because you're not going to get those coffee jitters like with the other brands. You do know that it's also going to help with chronic headaches, migraines, joint pains, IBS, so much more than that. And now you get 25% off your first purchase on StravaCraftCoffee.com with code DNVR25. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today, as he does each and every week, the voice of the Colorado Rockies on AT&T Sportsnet, the voice of the Drew Goodman podcast, it's Drew Goodman. What's going on today, buddy? Not too much, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Enjoying a little bit of snow we got. The negative temperatures are, well, it's to be expected. It's wintertime, so let's let's suck it up and and keep our fingers crossed for spring. You know what? I like it. I, I, um, I really like when it's winter and it actually feels like winter. Now I wouldn't want four months of Duluth, Minnesota, but I think periodically when it's really crisp and two degrees this morning, when I walk the dog and, uh, and there's, you know, significant snow on the ground, we're in Colorado, man. That's what it's supposed to be. So I like it. It is. I, I do want to start off with talking about the Drew Goodman podcast this week because I really enjoyed this episode that that did drop today on Thursday when we're recording this live. If you're listening to this on a podcast Friday, go back and listen to that because I really thought it was an excellent This Week in Denver Sports. I thought it encapsulated a little bit of everything that's going on from Nathaniel Hackett's hiring as, as head coach of the Broncos, talk about the Brian Flores lawsuit, the greatness of the avalanche, the growth of CSU in the past years with your guest, Jim Benneman. Yeah, it was a fun, um, well, l- l- let me, let me rephrase that Patrick, because it was not, I, I wouldn't characterize it as fun talking about the Brian Flores sure. lawsuit. Um, you know, it's, it, it's been pretty obvious uh, what has not gone on, if you will, in the hiring practices of the NFL and, um, you know, we can, you can listen to the podcast and hear certainly more on that. My take on it, um, what was very enjoyable uh, was my conversation with Jim Benman. I've known Jim for a long time, um, and he used to do sports way back for, for a couple of years on the weekends, but he's always been a solid news guy, but he's, he loves sports, and uh, he stays in touch. He's really witty. He's fun. And he has great takes on a lot of different things. And, and so we had uh, a lot of ground to cover, including, you know, the, the very unfortunate um, passing of, of our friend Les Shapiro, who, who died way too young. Yeah, that was another one of the, the big pieces. Again, if you're talking about Denver sports, you have to talk about the people who cover the sport and and him, of course, being such a, a heavyweight uh, in the days here at, at Denver and, and how he covered the sport and, 
being an, an old time guy and, and trying to get the scoop on, on people. And, you know, he, he leaves behind a, a really big legacy. So it was, it was sad to, to hear that news this past week about less. Yes. Um, uh, one of the things that I talked about on the podcast is back in the day, don't you like that phrase back in the day? Well, you know, 25, 30 years ago before social media and before we could just look at our phone and see, you know, Kevin Durant's latest dunk that happened literally three seconds prior. Um, oh, so-and-so is on the trade block. So-and-so got fired. I mean, there's an immediacy to everything now um, and, and access to information uh, also uh, instantaneously. But back then, you know, if you wanted highlights, certainly, or even information, you, you got it oftentimes at 1025 at night when you turned on, you know, four, seven and nine channel two or a little earlier with Jim Conrad, uh, typically, and that's where you got your information. And so TV sportscasters, not only were providing the highlights back then, Patrick, but they were also breaking a lot of stories and, and less was at the, the forefront of that. It was highly competitive between uh, the affiliates in town. Uh, the other the other thing I, I point out, and I've said this a lot, and it's not to take a shot at the current uh, people working at the at the affiliates, but everything's kind of done out of the studio these days, Patrick, and television news. And and you know, I think where I'm going with this on opening day, you see all the cameras lined up <laughs> at, at, at Coors Field and everybody's going to get a soundbite from Buddy Black and, and try to pick off a Charlie Blackman soundbite. And, and, and then the next day, there's virtually no one there. And, and that kind of continues. And I remember when I was doing the Nuggets and I was working and doing, you know, hosting the Avalanche coverage, their guys would do their, their hits at, uh, you know, at 525 at the arenas, at the ballparks, um, and do their sports cast there because they were on the ground. And I, and I know money is much tighter these days at the affiliates, and, I, and I've probably gone on too long on this, but, but Les was in the middle of that. And, uh, you know, Ron Zapolo and Mike Nolan, Steve Harms, and, and the late Gary Cruz, uh, you know, so many guys. That, and that's, that's how you got your sports information in Denver many years ago. Yeah, it was nice that you took the time, you and Jim, kind of recollecting that. We, we've got a lot, a lot of different things to break down, of course, before we get to our final segment of, of trivia. Oh, good, I can't wait. I good can't questions. Wait. Good questions for Drew Goodman. I think that's that's what we're branding it as. Uh, At least uh, I am. We'll talk about some potential maybe dimension changes in the outfield to Coors Field. Should we do that? But we've got another Rockies Hall of Famer to celebrate. Yesterday on Wednesday, the news came out that Jeff Francis was voted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and he'll now join Larry Walker and Justin Morneau, who was voted in 2020, but because of the pandemic, he actually hasn't been officially inducted yet. So that was really great news to to get on Wednesday. I'm thrilled for Jeff. I, I texted with him yesterday and he, and he was really genuinely excited and and honored uh, as he should be. I mean, the number of influential and talented baseball players that uh, emanate from our, our great friends to the north uh, keeps growing. And, you know, the, the one Hall of Famer for the Rockies currently, soon to be hopefully a Tennessean down the road, but, you know, is from Canada and Larry Walker, obviously. So that great, great uh, tribute to Jeff, who had a, a really strong big league career, not only here in Denver and uh, being one of the, you know, centerpieces of that 07 World Series team. And he started game one in Boston, uh, but um, tremendous guy, really smart guy. I was, I was kidding him yesterday because he sent me a picture of his of his family and, you know, it's frigid outside because they they live uh, in London, Ontario. And um, and I, I said, yeah, you know, I think I think spring will be there in like July or something of that way. Yeah, he, he still has another year to go until it's spring if, if you're that far north. Yeah, yeah Roy Halladay is also uh, in the Hall of Fame, another Colorado guy, so that was really cool to see. As you mentioned, yeah, fantastic career, 72 big league wins, second most by a Canadian left-hander. So, again, he's it's, it's fifth in, in starts by a, a Canadian pitcher in general, seventh in wins, eighth in strikeouts and innings pitched. Uh, also, you know, competed with the Canadian national team on multiple occasions and won a gold medal at the 2015 Pan Am games. So yeah. a, story, a storied career, especially for a Canadian pitcher. Patrick, he left before you you 
kind of recovering the Rockies, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I'm telling you because I, I know you well now, and I and I know Jeff well, and I and I usually get to see Jeff at least once a year at fantasy camp because he's a regular uh, on the coaching staff, and I he's somebody I really enjoy seeing because as I said a moment ago, he's very bright, he's a very deep thinker, and um, his teammates, you know, from Spilly to Sully, they all love giving him a hard time because you know, he's pretty straight laced guy and uh he can be an easy target but he's one of my all-time favorite rockies he really is and he's one of only four rockies players or pitchers to ever get a cy young award vote right finished ninth in cy young award voting in the nl there in, in 2007 that big 17 win season so yeah he's he's long been you know one of those big guys when you're you know recollecting the the greatest rockies pitcher in in franchise history he's always in that like top five if you're making a rotation of the greats He's, he's definitely in that conversation. Oh, he has to be. He has to be. And I know you've done stuff on that. And, you know, you go Ubaldo and you go De La Rosa naturally and and, and Chassin for me. Uh, but but Franny's in there. No question. All right. So let's, let's talk about the ballpark. Now, did you hear the news that Camden Yards is changing their dimensions in left field? Mm-hmm. You did, did hear that. Yeah. So it's it's the 30th anniversary of, of Camden Yards. And, you know, their analytics team kind of came together with this and I, Let's show a couple of photos here again. If you're listening to this as a podcast, make sure you go over to YouTube on the DNVR Sports channel so you can see this. Uh, in this image, you can kind of get a sense of where the original outfield wall is located there in left field with the bullpens off to the right. Then there is that, that gap where you see the warning track, and that's where the new outfield fence would be. So you've got this weird little alcove going out there in left field, you're still going to have the left field foul pole 333 feet away from home plate. So you will be able to hook a couple around, but construction is supposed to be completed by opening day. They've already started. You can see them stripping away the seats there in Camden Yards. When you see the real photographs, you get much a much better idea of how far back they are moving this bad boy. They've They've already gutted it. The wall, I, I believe, in left field is going from seven feet, four inches, perfect for robbing home runs. We've seen Mike Trout do it, to now it's going to be 13 feet. What's What's been your take on, on all this so far at, at Camden Yards, Drew? Well, for right-handed hitters, it's going to go from, you know, a, a band box to, you know, like Tiger State. Well, not Tiger Stadium. We, 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 what are they calling Detroit Stadium these days? Whatever the heck they call it. <laughs> Comerica Park. Comerica Park. Thank you. I can't keep track of all the name changes. Um, that is a significant difference. Yeah. Not only that, if they change the height of the wall, that would make a difference. But going back, the you know the number of feet they are, you're talking about a, a ton of – how many baseballs do you think fell in there over the years? That were home runs. Yeah, 26 and a half feet is how far they're moving it back. That's that's gonna that's gonna yeah. make an enormous difference. And I think you know you're gonna have lower ERAs. Um, fortunately, they they didn't mess with right field because if you if you've never been to Camden Yards, put it on your bucket list of, of one of the top stadiums you need to get to because uh, you know out in right field, Utah street and, and the, um, you know, you can walk by and there's, and there's literally, they have, um, everybody that's hit Utah street gets a plaque. It's a, it's a size, it's a baseball size plaque. And it says, I think Brad hops up there, for instance, Brad hop and it, and it measures it 442 feet. Um, Ken Griffey jr. Hit the wall of, of the building um, behind where the, where the offices are for, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, and it's the whole Inner Harbor area. It's one of my favorite places to visit. And fortunately, uh, especially a few years ago, it seemed like every other year the Rockies were going just the way the schedule worked. The Rockies were, were playing in Baltimore, and I loved it. I've taken my my kids there on a couple of different occasions, um, and, and Camden Yards is a great, great ballpark. But to your original point, Patrick, that's going to make a large difference from uh, from a home run perspective. Uh, with with what they're doing in left field, and and going back to the historical perspective of of Camden Yards again, a little 
be its 30th anniversary this year, open back in 1992. And you say, well, all right, that's old now because of all of these new stadiums. Look, there's some newer stadiums that have been built even within the last 10, 15 years that I don't know if we can guarantee will be around in another 30 to 50 years. But Camden Yards very well will be around for another 50 years. Camden Yards is really the modern day Wrigley Field in, in so many ways because that was the stadium that really got the whole you know, rejuvenation of these old timey baseball parks, you know, everything that came in Camden yards, that's what Rocky's ownership said. We want that. We want that version in Denver. And just like just about every team across baseball said, we want our own Camden yards with that throwback with the brick and, and, and Coors field, I think got that right. And in many ways you can make the case that it could be around for 50 to 75 years, but Camden yards most definitely will still don't wait, go out there and, 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 and give it a view. I don't think I think next year the Rockies might might be back in line to, to go to Baltimore. Well, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because Coors Field and the architecture of Coors Field was heavily influenced by Camden Yards. In fact, if they looked at a lot of different ballparks um, in, in the early 90s when the, the run up to Coors Field and the completion, ultimately, as we know, prior to the 95 season. Uh, but the most influential ballpark um, in that process was Camden Yards. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Camden Yards is going to stand the test of time and be a fixture in the inner, inner harbor of Baltimore. Uh, you know, it's going to be one of those stadiums that, yes, has probably a 75-year uh, anniversary type of thing. And I would, I would expect the same thing here in Denver, especially with how well uh, Coors Field has been maintained you know, through the years. And now we're talking about, you know, not too far from 30 years, right? Yeah, I, I want to talk about how well Coors Field has been maintained. But I got to tell you guys to head on down to the bar on the corner of Colfax in York at the DNVR bar where you know you can get a bigger beer. Breckenridge Brewery always on tap. Now only 50 cents for your first month. And if you haven't heard, we've now got soccer coverage. Yes, DNVR underscore Rapids on Twitter. Start following them. We're going to have podcasts each and every week. We got our guy Mitchell and you here. They're covering the Rapids. We're bringing folks in from that Rapids community in. Super excited to be covering MLS officially here now at DNVR. And you get all the sports, Broncos, Nuggets, Avs, Avalanche, uh, which are the Avs, uh, Rockies, Bucks, Rams. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We've got Nuggets. Yeah. yeah, we've got Nuggets, Nugs. All right, keep might write these down. This is how much coverage we got. We have Avalanche and Avs. We got the Bronx, the Broncos, the Rocks, and the Rockies. We've got all eight of the major sports going on here in town, Drew. Did you know that? And not not to mention CSU and CU. You got everything covered. We've got both CSU and the Rams. We've got both Rams. those two totally different things. Yeah. And CU and the Buffs. Right. Those other two. So it's it's just great right now. And again, 50 cents for your first month. And the annual membership gets you a free shirt. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a Rapids shirt coming out at some point as well. And you can get one of those for free with your annual membership. Hey, if you're looking to make a couple extra bucks, well, you know, with DraftKings, the moment we've been waiting for since the start of the season in September has finally arrived. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you 56 to 1 odds on either team. All you got to do is bet $5, you win 280 in free bets. And guess what? If you're not a new customer, don't worry because you know there's same game parlays that you can get into where you make multiple bets on the exact same game. And the more legs you add, the more money you can win. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR to get 56 to 1 odds on either the Bengals or the Rams. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DNVR for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Finally, got to tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists, the highest awarded topical brand in Colorado that prioritized quality and consistency. Escape Artists produces these creams that help penetrate for deep muscle, muscle tissue discomfort that's fast absorbing. I'm already thinking about how good this has been in my training. I combine it with my Strava Craft coffee, my athletic greens, and all together, it got me feeling so much better in the morning after a long day's workout. Best part, when I do wake up, it's not greasy, doesn't stain my clothes or sheets. 
Best part is you can find Escape Artist at your local Lightshade dispensary. There's 10 in the Denver metro area. Lightshade has a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flowers, edibles, tinctures, accessories, so much more. And now podcast listeners, you can get 25% off non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. As you mentioned, Goody, HOK, that was Helmuth, Obata, and I forget what the K is. I just recently tried to put that to memory, what HOK construction is. But but the architects for Camden Yards were the same ones for Coors Field. And and that's part of what I want to talk about today. And, and we can get to the fact that not they only did my Coors, first, They did my first home as well in town. There you go. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That, I, I'm sure that that, that was reasonably priced uh, i'm sure one of the junior some an intern it was probably an intern with hok probably yeah. junior um, junior 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 intern <laughs> that's it but you know course field besides just being a, a great baseball mecca i think the management for colorado they've done an amazing job keeping it up because that's the thing is you can build something that's state-of-the-art and then what happens in 15 20 25 years of usage you know, is, is it is it kept up to date or are you going to say, you know, let's scrap this and build a brand new one? That hasn't been the case for Coors Field. It's been maintained incredibly well. It has been maintained very, very well. And the people that, uh, you know, the Rockies hire and, and many are, are senior citizens, um, not all, obviously, um, but there there's a warmth, I think, to the staff um, and there, there's a, a feeling of, of, you know, what you want of, of welcoming people into uh, a thing that people take a lot of pride in who work there and, and keeping it immaculate and keeping it up to date. And we know there's been a number of changes, uh, the rooftop being the most uh, prominent of those changes through the years. But it's a great place uh, to spend an evening and watch a ball game. And, and quite honestly, it's one of the reasons why, you know, the Rockies have drawn well, even when the product on the field from a one loss standpoint hasn't been where the fans would like, but, you know, they continue to pour out. It's a combination of, of a great stadium, a well-maintained stadium and, and the beautiful climate in which we live. Yeah. And just a couple of years ago, I think they had a three phase prod, uh, pro project uh, to, to totally uh, renovate a couple of things. And, you know, with the, from the scoreboard to, you know, the 200 level and, and as well as the clubhouses. And we've seen what that lo uh, looks like. It's been fantastic. I know progressive field, over there in Cleveland, they're they're finally getting around to it now. I don't think they've done it up to this point. And Progressive Field is at least a year older than Coors Field. I think it might have been built in 1994. And so they're finally getting around to those upgrades. And, and Coors Field has already had them. Um, Patrick, that's the Jake. Jake by the Lake. That's no, no, no. That's that. That would be the mistake by the Lake, the original football stadium. No, Jacobs Field. Jacob's remember? Field. Yeah. So I still remember the how what the stadium used to be called so going with the old school with names jake. i like i like the jake i don't I, I i it doesn't it doesn't have any kind of feel and vibe to, i've only been to it once mm -hmm. and i just i just didn't get didn't uh, a great vibe i would like to go back uh i like you know it seemed like it was located there there was there were a couple things going on on one side it was nothing there was a highway and maybe the cuyahoga river was going through there so there's nothing on you know half the stadium on one side, but on the other side, you know, you got Alice Cooper's restaurant, right? Isn't it called Cooperstown? Yeah. Um, there's a, this, the downtown area of Cleveland has picked up considerably over the years and it's not altogether different from Denver. I mean, Coors Field was built in the warehouse district. Nobody would venture down there back then. And now we know how vibrant, um, not only Lodo is, but really the the entirety of, of the city of Denver. It's one of the most, you know, vibrant downtown areas uh, of major cities in the country. And that's not always the case for those that, you know, have not necessarily been to, you know, cities like Houston, which is a ghost town once, um, you know, once the workday's over, if you will. Uh, even even downtown Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, heck, Starbucks are closed on the weekend in downtown L.A., but that's not the case in Denver. I mean, Denver's a, you know, a, a great city. And going back to Cleveland, it's, it's changed dramatically through the years. One of the great um, lines about 
say the dormancy, if you will, of Cleveland by a baseball player. This goes back about 35, 40 years. And I had the occasion to work with this guy uh, a few times professionally, Jay Johnstone, if you remember that name. Yeah, he was a quirky guy, pitcher, right? Uh, no, he, he actually was He actually was a position player. He could swing the bat a little bit from the left side, but he was quirky, you're right, in that regard. And uh, Jay Johnstone uh, famously said, uh, the last time I went to Cleveland, it was closed. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of a funny line back then. Did, did he do a uh, broadcasting for the, the Phillies at one point? He did. He did a, a lot of broadcasting. I I would think he did work for the Phillies because he played for the Phillies. So yeah. um, I think you're right on on that, Patrick. And he did stuff nationally also. And I can't, it, you know, I can't remember where and when I worked with him. But uh, funny guy. Yeah. Getting back to again these renovations at Camden Yards, as you said, you know, it, it's been an extreme ballpark for for home runs and. GM Mike Elias said that the change to move back the wall, those, those 26 and a half feet was to try to make it a little bit more neutral. And he, he also cited the fact that, look, it's, it's still a, a Homer happy place and free agent pitchers aren't really too interesting, interested in, in signing to pitch there. Now, granted they haven't been very good as of recent, but even still uh, that's been a lot of the feedback is, Hey, this has been a bit challenging. And so they, they took all that information and they made a change. And we've actually seen that kind of a change recently at Coors Field in, in, in two ways. One, being the Breidich barrier as as a way to kind of tamp down some of the home runs. And it, it seems like it's something that statistically has worked a little bit. Buddy of mine, Nathaniel Sunshine, did write an article for Rock's Pile. I'll leave a link in this description for the podcast. But he actually tried to crunch the numbers to see the benefits in the five years over the Breidich barrier. And it probably was, it's been a little bit negligible, but it has tamped down home runs more for away teams than for the Rockies. So it, it has been beneficial to Colorado in, in that capacity. When you look at home runs per ballpark, I, I think it surprises, it, it would surprise some people that the Rockies are not, you know, one, two, or three, uh, at least the last few years, that they haven't finished in the top three in, in home runs relinquished uh, at, at Coors Field. Now, we know it's a great offensive ballpark because of the vastness uh, of the outfield and also coupled with, you know, the ball's not moving as dramatically. Uh, but, yeah, the the home run, you know, messing with dimensions, you, you ultimately are going to do that to try to benefit your team, right? Yeah. Um, so I think with Baltimore, clearly it, it may be playing to, as you said, the, the free agent pitcher market more than anything, right? Absolutely. Yeah, to your point. So Coors Field, according to baseball savant, uh, basically StatCast, right? Over the last three years from 2019 to 2021, Coors Field is number one as far as park factor goes. And that encompasses everything because we know, hey, a lot of triples, a lot of cycles, a lot of base hits that can can dunk in because of the size of the outfield. But you're absolutely right, Goody, as far as home runs. There are four ballparks that are more homer friendly. Great American Ballpark, Oriole Park at Camden Yards is number two. And this is a little bit surprising. Tied for third is Guarantee Rate Field in Chicago and Dodger Stadium. How about that? That that was that, kind of strange. That, that was that's, that. Hey, listen, Patrick, that's the shocker, man. And for years and years and years, you, when you think of the Dodgers, you always thought of pitching, pitching, pitching. And I'm not saying you don't. You still think of a great pitching staff. But the Dodgers have produced a lot of runs lately and a lot of home runs. And is it the park playing differently? Is it climatic or is it the fact that, hey, I looked at that lineup and I look at the guys coming off the bench and they got a lot of guys who can hit the ball over the wall. Um, I, I think maybe more of that has to do with the the Muncies and I know Seeger's now gone, but the Seegers and the, and the Bellinger who didn't have a good year last year, but prior, uh, we, we know he's an MVP. You know, it, it probably has more to do with the guys that are walking up to the plate one through eight in the lineup than anything else. Yeah. Philadelphia and Toronto are right behind Coors Field at six and seven. So again, just looking at this metric, you got to say, Hey, the, uh, the British barrier has fared well. And also too, oh, go ahead, Drew. What do you got? Uh, real, real quick, Patrick, I didn't mean to interrupt, but to 
maybe further support my point, and, and I know you could look this up quickly, um, you know, in the mid 90s, during the, you know, it was before, I understand it was also before the humidor, but it was when the Rockies featured the Blake Street Bombers, and, and you had so many guys that were hitting home runs, and I guarantee you at that point in time, when you looked at where Coors Field was homers per game, if it wasn't number one, it was in the top three. Um, so who you have in your lineup is certainly a factor naturally. It is. And, and I, that touches on the, the final point is the adjustments that have been made at Coors Field, both the British Bower and the Humidor. Again, going back to Sunshine's uh, article, you know, OPS during the Blake Street Bombers days from 95 to 2001 at Coors Field, OPS was 935 there. And then 2002 on, we're talking 847. So that's about a 10% drop. Home runs were down about 24% with the advent of the humidor. So there have been those adjustments that have been made at home. Do you think, and I've asked you this before, so I know your answer, but you got to throw it out there at least. Changing the dimensions at Coors Field, is there an advantage? If, if they were looking to do that, would there be some kind of advantage you could gain by changing the dimensions at Coors Field somehow? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know how you'd say, well, it's an advantage because both teams are going to yeah. play in that ballpark. Now, you, the advantage is it's your ballpark. You're more familiar with it on, on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I understand that. You know, if, if you made it larger, oh, my goodness. You know, we're already <laughs> talking about a great number of triples and a great number of hits would be even more. If... If you talk about, you know, pulling the walls in somehow, you know, now you move from, you know, fifth or sixth, somewhere in there each year and home runs relinquished. And now you're at the top of the food chain again. And I think it just would continue that narrative about it's, it's a joke at altitude. Um, I, I, think it, I think it's a fair ballpark based on being at altitude with the current dimensions. I really do. Um, I, and, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, they put the barrier up from the scoreboard and right all the way out to extreme right center field uh, and also the little window down the left field line. Uh, but um, I, I personally I personally wouldn't. And I don't know how you can certainly project how it would be an advantage for the home team versus any team coming in. So, I mean, that's kind of that's how I would answer that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many logistics to something like that. I I remember late last year, kind of looking around and and really just trying to figure out the the logistics of it, the literal logistics of how you would change things. Because even if you were to say, well, let's just put a some kind of Breitich barrier up in left field, well, there's there's seats there, and so that that's a spot <laughs> where where people are going to have a hard time seeing the game, and then maybe you lose all of those seats, and you don't want that. You can't really you know, move home plate in any way. The only thing I could possibly think of was if you did move for a home plate down the first baseline. And so you just have to move the foul pole and, and there's a way to do that where you wouldn't block too many seats, but basically you make right field a very short porch and you take advantage of it much like the New York Yankees do. And now you're going to have a lot more left-handed hitters kind of gaining that advantage. Again, of course, the opposing team is going to do that, but that's going to shrink the outfield. And we know when you play at altitude, you know how much harder it is to recover. So instead of having a, a huge outfield, you know, having a, a smaller one with taller walls, that's going to keep some balls in. So maybe you don't give up, you know, that many more home runs. That could be a way to, to tick off enough boxes where, you know, maybe you would gain some kind of advantage like that. My, my initial thought on all of that is be better, be better. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean that. And I'm not no, trying sure. to. And we've seen good Rockies teams. We've seen them close. We know they haven't won a division uh, title yet. Um, but if you put a really good pitching staff together and they have the assemblance of that right now, they've pitched uh, better by and large the last several years, and you deepen that lineup, you will win, regardless of messing with dimensions. And over the course of the Rockies' history – there hasn't been a point yet close, certainly two years ago or three, whatever it is now, four years ago, almost in 2018, when you finish in a dead heat with the Dodgers. But has there been a, a point where on paper, you said the best team in the division talent wise is the Colorado Rockies. It's always going to be a challenge 
to have the best roster when you have the, the high revenue teams in Los Angeles and, and San Francisco. But when you ultimately do, because it's not just about dollars, if you can put a roster together that plays like the best team in the division and talent wise may have the best talent in the division, when you reach that point, then all of this other stuff for me is more or less irrelevant. And that's why I said, hey, you just, you know, you got to get better. Yeah, Coors Field is already an extreme ballpark. The changes that I'm suggesting make it extreme in a different way. So, right. you know, you, you might you not be gaining an advantage. Yeah, you can't manufacture your way to let, let's go hocus pocus and then we're, we'll be, you know, a playoff team or hocus pocus and we'll be winning division titles. You have to do it on the field. And ultimately, whether it's 350 down the right field line or 330 down the right field line or 415 straight away or 430 or the wall is 10 feet, now the wall is 30 feet, it doesn't matter. It's going to be two teams competing there 81 times a year. And to get to the promised land again, over 162, you have to be better um, than your opponent more frequently than than the opponent's better than you on a given night. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I'm not into gimmicks. Got to be better on the field, just like Colorado XOs. Actually, now they're the American Raptors, and they're about to get on the field for the super rugby coming up at the end of this month. Maybe not them exactly, but Hey, look, you got to find out what's going on from our guy, Colton Strickler. He's got it covered on the DNVR rugby podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, learn more about rugby with Colton's one-on-one rugby podcast with exclusive interviews with athletes and coaches, especially once the, the big game, the super bowl's over. Look, there's not going to be a lot happening. So the Super Rugby starts at the end of February. You could get in on that, make a couple bucks over on DraftKings. Head over to AmericanRaptors.com to stream their games, find out more about the sport of rugby, and yeah, even get some free tickets. Well, speaking of the big game and speaking of baseball, if you will, uh, a former Montreal Expos draft pick recently retired from the sport of football, Mr. Tom Brady, which which you do address on the the Drew Goodman podcast, and I, I tweeted out, we'll we'll do some social media business here because uh, it was a fun week in in so many different ways. Here is the starting lineup on Tom Brady's first NFL start, September thirtieth, two thousand one. Juan Pierre, your guy, Jose Ortiz, Larry Walker, Todd Helton, Jeff Cirillo, Greg Norton, Juan Uribe, Ben Petrick, John Thompson. Let's bring back it's, really, it's really amazing. I, I to give people perspective, I heard somebody who's in their mid forties say, you know, for half of my life, <laughs> for half of my life, Tom Brady has been, you know, an elite NFL quarterback. Twenty two years he played. There, there's so many remarkable things. Uh, a, a quick thing I read about from the baseball side of Tom Brady, uh, we always seemingly point out that he was a sixth round pick, the 199th pick in the draft uh, when he came out out of the University of Michigan. And there's the uh, very familiar shots of him in in shorts with his shirt off and, and the not very impressive body, perhaps even the, the dad bod as, as a 22 year old. Right. And, you know, fast forward and he became, you know, a fitness, not a training, not a, uh, how he, how he uh, ate became a you know big subject, and, and he was a he was a much better athlete down the road, and physically looked a lot different than he did coming out. But I wanted to I wanted to make mention of this, Patrick. When he was at Sarah High School in California, this kid, though he started slowly and as a quarterback, I think he was a backup on a on a winless JV team, and then he ultimately you know became good enough that his five trips. I believe were USC, UCLA, Cal in his neck of the woods, Michigan, and I believe it was Illinois. So, and he was a four-star recruit. They didn't really have stars back then, but looking at him, they they said he would have been a four-star recruit. So he wasn't chopped liver coming out of high school. And from the baseball standpoint, Patrick, he was drafted in the 18th round by the Expos as a left-handed hitting catcher with a really strong arm. He was... I, I believe when he came out of high school, he was six three. He grew another inch uh, at Michigan. So this is a this was a big kid, 
and they gave they offered him um, second round money coming out of high school. So Tom Brady was a heck of a high school athlete, and and it wasn't just you know some guy who fell off a turnip truck. He became to his great credit, uh, you know, the greatest of all time. But this was a heck of an athlete, and he was a heck of a baseball player, evidently, uh, growing up in a hotbed for baseball, California. And because you've probably forgotten more information than, than many of us will know, Drew, you had F.P. Santangelo on your show a year or so ago, and he even recalls a story at the batting cages with Tom Brady was signed. Hey, talk to this kid, show him around. And so, hey, that's why you got to go back sometimes and, and dig through the archive on these stories of the Drew Goodman podcast. He made $475 million in his career. I went and looked. Mike Trout is set to make, if, if God forbid anything crazy happens, $523 million. Mike Trout will make more money than Tom Brady. I think I was a little bit surprised by that. He's really the only one. Mookie Betts. Uh, I think he will, he'll get over the $400 million mark, but he'll fall short of Tom Brady's 475. Lindor will just be under 400 million. If Miguel Cabrera has a top 10 MVP finish in 2023 and 24, he could go up to 460. Nolan's going to clear 300, but really Tom Brady, man, he, he's the goat financially as well. Well, based on those figures you're giving me, he screwed up. He should have gone baseball. He would have made more money. Maybe. That was Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I do remember that F.P. Santangelo uh, interview. F, F.P.'s a guy I talk to uh, periodically, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I had forgotten that, and, uh, you know, shameless plug, you can go back and check out any previous um, interview I've had on, on my website, uh, thedrewgoodmanpodcast.com, but that's a good one to listen to because it's a really funny story. Is, yeah. F.P.'s a big leaguer, and he's asked to go over to, you know, spend a little time with this guy they're trying to the expos are trying to sign this high school catcher from from california named tom brady and you know fp's like the last thing i want to do is spend some time with some 17 18 year old kid you know whatever <laughs> that guy becomes tom brady so uh, that's pretty good stuff it's very good stuff all right i taking another spin around social media here the twitter world was asked which of the free agent bats the rockies should target Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, or other. What do you what do you think fans would have picked in this survey between Schwarber, Castellanos, and Chris Bryant? My guess is they pick Chris Bryant, who's a former MVP, biggest name. And I I know that the the Rockies continue to have interest and in and in, in prior to the lockout. Um, had substantive conversation with Bryant and his people. Um, I know they have interest in, in Kyle Schwarber. Um, I, I think Schwarber may be more doable than, um, you know, than Chris Bryant. Uh, but my, to answer your question, I, I, my guess is the fans said Chris Bryant. Am I right? You'd be correct. 52.5%. Next, Nick Castellanos with 22.5%. So he's he's next up on there. And I think he may be he he may turn out to be looking for. We'll see how this whole yeah. thing shakes out. But it's going to be a, when this, you know, fingers crossed it gets settled soon. But when it does, it's going to be a a mad scramble to sign um, free agents. I also saw you, you know, cause I read you. I saw you, you're, you're on that Kevin Kiermeyer kick again. I, I did read that my friend. <laughs> and, and, and so I was going to give you a hard time. Can I get, can I give you a hard time here? Please. You have uh, to. Yeah. So you and I chatted about this probably a month ago because I know you're enamored of Kiermeyer. And, and by the way, I want to say this, you, you've done exhaustive research as to why you think there's a good potential fit here. He, by Tampa standards, is making a good amount of money, 12, 13 million, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you feel like, you know, the Rockies could offer some young players that would be intriguing to Tampa and get Kiermaier, who's always been a plus, probably a plus plus defender. Now he's moving into his, you know, what is he, 32, I believe. Um, for me, and this is why, and it's not a knock on Kevin Kiermaier. I think he's a, a really good player, but for what the Rockies needs are, 
if you ask all of those Rockies fans that you, um, you know, that, that follow your show religiously, the same question about, all right, who do you want? And they want Chris Bryant, 52%. And the next would be Nick Castellanos, who had a great year last year with Cincinnati. Um, understand all that. What do those guys have in common? And even a Kyle Schwarber, who you know I'm extremely high on. What do they all have in common? They're great offensive players. Kevin Kiermeyer is not a great offensive player. I think last year he had a 95 OPS plus. Historically, he's been below 100. His OPS, um, I, I think for his career, is below 700, uh, where Kyle Schwarber's career OPS is well over 800. They need guys who hit the ball over the wall, who are slug guys. I mean, the Rockies offense, particularly from an outfield standpoint, is one of the poorest in baseball in production. So putting a guy out in center field because he's a good center fielder and hit four home runs last year, that doesn't work for me. I, I agree with you entirely. Just getting Kevin Kiermeyer doesn't work for me either. You have to get Kiermeyer and Bryant or Kiermeyer and Schwarber and maybe get a little creative on, on the trade front with, with your outfielders that you've yeah. got. Cause there is, there's kind of a log jam too. That's another element too, that, that you say, well, if, if you go ahead and, and acquire Kiermeyer, now you, you might be getting back even less in a trade for one of those expendable outfielders as well. So it, it would have to be done right if they see, were to acquire them. Yeah. See Patrick, from my standpoint, again, and, and I understand why you're enamored with um, Kiermeyer. But the way the Rockies are currently constructed and with a log jam in the outfield, this is without visiting on Connor Joe or right. Sam Hilliard. You have a, a guy who's, you know, toward the you know back end of his career in an all-time Rocky and Charlie Blackman. But Charlie went from a 30-plus home run guy last year to hitting, I think, what, 14, somewhere in there, 13, 14 home runs. And he's going to play. He's their highest paid player. And yes, he the DH will factor in. But their biggest need is, is thump. And if if Kevin Kiermeyer was playing center field in a lineup where you were plus offensively at first, second, short, third, right and left, you could certainly go, no, man, we want Kiermeyer in center field. But that's not the situation for the Rockies. My argument would be in a perfect world, you need Bryant and you need Schwarber. You need Bryant and Castellanos to couple with, you know, the guys that are returning. You need you need two significant bats, more than a significant bat and a significant glove. All right, so I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to see if I can try to flip you. Would you sign off on the Rockies signing Bryant, Schwarber, Castellanos, and acquiring Kiermaier in a trade? I'll get all four of those guys. You up for that? Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you to say yes, having anything related to do with Kevin Kiermaier. Hold on a second. What, we get Brian. I want tell me where they're all playing and who's paying for it. All right, well, we, we don't worry about who's paying for it, right? Yeah, we got a left field platoon uh, of Castellanos and Schwarber. Naturally, mm. no, yeah, obviously they're they're not going to get get all those guys. Although one thing that's interesting, my guest yesterday, Renee Deckert, next week she's going to have an article out on Purple Row. She really likes the idea of Kyle Holder possibly being the guy at shortstop again. He's got big shoes to fill, but if you're talking about moving the money around financially, if you've got a guy making the league minimum, that's going to have above average defense at shortstop. You're also adding the DH. You're also getting a lot more offensive production out of catcher. You can get by with a, a glove first guy at shortstop, especially if you're rolling over that extra money to sign one of those big name guys, if not maybe two. I think that's an intriguing option. It's not just me saying this. Billy Schmidt, if you go back to last summer when he was asked about you know, needs for the Rockies. He said, we need two bats. We yeah. need at least two bats. I'm right. paraphrasing, but uh, not, hey, one bat and, a, and, a, and another glove or one bat and two gloves. Uh, you know, you, your scenario, I know I know you're, it's tongue in cheek and having fun. I mean, it's not realistic. It's almost, uh, I'm not saying you're doing this, but you know, when, sure. when fans, um, ardent fans of a team say, hey, um, why don't, I don't understand why, uh, the general manager hasn't hasn't traded, you know, the backup shortstop and the uh, fifth inning emergent, you know, long haul guy for Mike Trout. Well, how come that deal hasn't gotten done? Let's make it a three team deal and get Wander Franco too in there. For, yeah, we're right. getting crazy, right? You know, the the old completely one way trades and, and fans not understanding why you know those things don't happen. But uh, I I would like to see. 
you know, I'd like to see Sam Hilliard run around center field for 550 yeah. at bats and see what it looks like, man. It's going to be strikeouts. Um, I think he can defend it. Um, there's going to be thump too. And maybe he grows and, and continues to get better because he knows it in the lineup every day. I've said that to you uh, in the past. Um, I'd be down for I, that. I'd I love Connor Joe. I thought he gave him the, their best at bats when he was healthy last year. Huge Connor Joe fan. Who knows where it can go? Can he be a late bloomer and be an impactful guy? Perhaps I say late bloomer because he's in his late twenties. Um, but I'd like to see Kyle Schwarber because I think that's a doable one. Yeah, I'd love to see Chris Bryant. If you can get two, and Chris Bryant gives you positional versatility. He can play third. Can McMahon play shortstop a part of the time? I think he probably could. Going back to what you you know were chatting about a moment ago, uh, you know, then you have the DH. You have you know Schwarber can go and play the outfield. Heck, Schwarber can. I, excuse me. Uh, Brian could go play the outfield. I mean, we're playing fantasy baseball right now. He can go not? play center. He can go play center field. He did and for the Giants last year. That's right. Um, that that's more of what, in a perfect scenario, would could take place or would take place um, that would really benefit the bottom line for the Rockies. Uh, bottom line, I'm referring to not financially, but from a victory standpoint. All right, before we hit the trivia, last piece from social media last week. I asked fans, hey, throw me your the place of birth. Where were you born? And I will tell you the player that was born closest to where you were born. And if I've if I've done my research correctly, and if the birth certificate, the, the facsimile that I have of your birth certificate, Drew, is correct, the player born closest to where you were born in New York, near the border of Connecticut, would have been Angel Echeverria from Bridgeport, Connecticut. That would be the player from the Colorado Rockies that was mm -hmm. born closest to where you were born. Well, and you you wouldn't know this. Um, I was actually born in Bolivia. <sighs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I was actually I was actually born. I, I grew up in in northern Westchester uh, on the New York side of the Connecticut border. So Bridgeport wouldn't have been very far, terribly far. Yep. Uh, but I was born on Long Island, actually. I lived on Long Ooh. Island until I was seven. I was born in Suffolk County. So uh, has there been any Rocky that was born on Long Island or in Queens? Or, you know, we got, or we got Jason Brooklyn? Marquis, Jason Marquis from Manhasset. Yeah. Jason Marquis is the one. I was born in Manhasset. They, boom! There we go. Was he born in in uh, in North Shore Hospital? I I don't have all that data. He was born look, in the same hospital. Look, the guy the that waters. I got your that I got your birth certificate clearly was faked, and so I'm out two hundred bucks. It said Poundridge. So you know what? I, I I can't tell you anything about hospitals, but all right, Jason Marquis the guy. Jason Marquis my guy. He grew up on Staten Island. You know, um, there you go. Me and Marquis. Then Hassett, New York. All right, so this is the international edition here before we get out of here. Good questions for Drew Goodman. What are the only two provinces in Canada that Rockies were born? And we said one of them earlier. Well, British Columbia. British Columbia, yes. That you got Larry Walker, Justin Morneau, and Jeff Francis. And Jeff Francis, because he's from BC. Oh. Wow, 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 wow. I'm going to say Ontario. Ontario, yeah, where Francis lives now, and John Axford and Dave Waynehouse. So we got five Canadians that were Beautiful. players that were born in Canada. Beautiful. Um, uh, Canadian cities for uh, Canadian provinces for five hundred, uh, Patrick. All right, spell Nunavut. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Were more Rockies born in Mexico or Puerto Rico? Love that question. Man, you have a lot of time on your hands. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, Patrick. I'm gonna say Puerto Rico, and that would be incredibly reasonable because across MLB, that is true. However, not for the Rockies. Fifteen Rockies were born in Mexico. Only ten in Puerto Rico. Wow, Vinny, right. Vinny's happy with you today asking that question. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, couple of unique places where Rockies were born. Only one player born in this country. Nicaragua, Wilton Lopez. Honduras, Gerald Young. Curacao, you might know that one, Curacao. 
Oh, Curacao. Curacao is a tiny island where every other play, every other house on Curacao has has produced a big leaguer. Seriously, right? Yes. Oh man, who, who double J initials? He only made two starts. Oh, Jair Jurens. Jur- yeah, that one. Who was a really good pitcher? You know, at one point for Milwaukee, then he was, you know, moved down to Texas, Atlanta. I believe. And then he was, and, and you know how I remember this stuff because uh, we've talked about it, Patrick. The, you know, the every day we get this guy was a Rocky. Yep, every, every Rocky, Rocky, every Rocky, Rocky ever. ever. I think, right? I <laughs> That's love it. That. Philippines, Bobby Shuinard. I'm butchering that name, but there was a player born in the Philippines. There's right. one in from Taiwan, of course. Chinhui. So again, these are countries where only one player. Uh, was born in, and we've got Australia. I think, Mark Bob, I think Bobby still lives in Colorado, by the way. Shenard. Bobby, oh, great, okay. got to get him on the show at some point. Yeah, um, g- give me what was the last one? I'm sorry, I talked Australia. Can you think of an Australian Rocky? Well, Peter Moylan didn't play for the uh, for the Rockies. Yes, I, I, it was a pitcher, it, there was a pitcher from Australia, right? I think uh, he was a pitcher. I don't know his name very well. What say, say it. Mark Hutton. Mark Hutton was a pitcher. Yeah. All right. Okay. And we've got two from Europe. There was a player born in Germany. All right. Th- that's always, those are always tricky because it right. could have been a military kid who was born at Rhine Mine, that kind of thing. So um, you're going well, to also, too, if you want to talk about military bases, and I haven't had this confirmed, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the first Japanese player in Rockies history, Jeff McCurry. May have been born on a base, but all yeah. right. Do you, do you know who was born in Germany, or how about the United Kingdom? How about England? I I do I like when you say this, it's going to trigger my memory sure. because I'm sure I mentioned it during a broadcast at some point. But go ahead. All right, Germany, Jeff Baker, shake and bake, yeah. and, and you want to know why? Jeff Baker's dad was a, uh, I believe, a full bird colonel. Wow. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember that. And obviously Jeff went to Clemson and, and had a nice big league career, but uh, shake and bake. I remember that he, he was born in Germany and his dad uh, was a, you know, distinguished uh, member of our armed ser- services who rose to the level of Colonel. I That's believe, impressive. I believe in the army. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Born in Bedford, England. We've got Lance Painter. Wow. Lance Painter was born in England. That one I did not recall. Okay. All right. State face-offs. More players born in Hawaii or Alaska? Come on, man. It's got to – what you talking about for Rockies. For Rockies. Just play, Rockies players born. Not where they're John, raised. John, John Chacon was born in Alaska. Got the one from Alaska, yeah. I'm going to say Hawaii two to one. Yeah, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. Rico Garcia, Benny Agbayani. Benny Agbayani. Love Benny Agbayani. I believe Benny. he was a Rocky in 02, former New York Met. Him and Ty Wigington, right? They they check off both boxes for you uh, yeah. for the same reasons. All right. Idaho or Iowa? More players. It's also a two to one. Idaho or Iowa? Yes. Two cold weather states. Man, I'm going to say Iowa. Incorrect. Two from Idaho, Matt Lindstrom and Clayton Mortensen. Okay. And the only one from Iowa, Todd Bellitz. Delaware or Maine? Again, two to one. Mark Sweeney, my good friend, played at the University of Maine, but he's from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So don't let's try to sneak Mark Sweeney in there. Delaware, sneaky little state, has produced some big leaguers, some, mm-hmm. some big name big leaguers. In fact, I want to say, is it Delino DeShields and Young and, and Junior? Are they from um, Delaware? Anyhow, I, I'll just uh, I'll say, was Billy Swift from uh, Maine? I know he played at Maine. I'm going to say Maine. You were right about Bill Swift being from Maine, but he's the only one born in Portland, Maine, and in Delaware. We've got John Mabry and Cliff Bumbra, both from Wilmington, Delaware. Wow. Okay. I'm losing. I mean, this is a bad week for me. It's no, you're doing okay. You're doing all right. All right. All right. I uh, love this game though. Go ahead. How many states have not had a Rocky been born there? How, how many states are not represented? <laughs> There's 50, <laughs> right? We're still 50. There's 50. Yeah. Wow. That's a great question, Patrick. I don't know why they were 
I double checked this. With Aaron Rodgers being the host at Jeopardy when you were fully available. Um, I will say, wow, man, that's a great question. I was going to say 13, but I think that's high. I, I mean, the Rockies have been around a long time. I'm going to say there's only there's only seven states that have not produced a Rocky. I thought you look like you were on the cusp of maybe saying three and you would have been close. Only two, only only Montana and Vermont, only Montana and Vermont. The States with one player represented. We got, as you said, Alaska, Sean Chacon now lives in Greeley, Todd Bellitz, Des Moines, Iowa, Bill Swift, Portland, Maine, Tim Olson, Grand Rapids, North Dakota, Scott Fredrickson, Manchester, New Hampshire. Chris Ionetta, Providence, Rhode Island. I know you knew that one. Mark Ellis, Rapid City, South Dakota. Bruce Hurst, St. George, Utah. Mike Lansing, Rollins, Wyoming. Represented by one player. Rest how, many co- how, many co- how many native Coloradans have played for the Rockies? The you asked the question, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to answer it because I got it right in front of me as well. I know, I know you do. You got every answer. Um Now, again, native, I don't know if they were actually raised here, just where they were born. They had to be born. That's they had to right. be born. You could probably I'm, name them all, although. Eh. I'm going I'm to say four. Okay, there's four, there's four that you're going to name, but then the two that you're missing most likely are John Burke and Nate Field. Well, John Burke's a friend of mine, so I, would, I actually would get that. Okay. So then Berkey, there's one other Berkey's one that you might be Great character. Listen, Burke Eaton. John Burke went to Cherry Creek High School and like so many tremendous players who played for Mark Johnson, uh, you know, made it in professional baseball. He went to the University of Florida. He was a high, high first round pick and he was a two way player at Florida. John's a big dude. He was a pitcher and and could swing the bat also. And, uh, you know, injuries and other factors It never, you know, he never had a great big league career, but John, John Burke was a, was a hell of an amateur player. I think he was their first draft pick that actually made it to the Rockies. Right. 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 So, okay. So, so John Burke, um, who, what's that? Of course, I just saw Nate field. He still works in baseball on the amateur level. Okay. Obviously we know Kyle Freeland, Lucas Gilbreth that, that puts us up to four and there's two more we're, we're missing. Give me, give me hints so we don't have dead air. Okay, one of them also has a Rockies podcast. Just recently started, still new, does a great job, comes out every Monday with Manny Randall. Oh, Mark, Mark Knudsen. Mark Knudsen, that's right. Love Mark, yeah. And then the last one, I think it's from CSU Ram, big Nebraska fan when he's not rooting for the Rams. Opening day starter at one point for the Milwaukee Brewers. A lot of people- I did not know won. that. He got the baseball one opening day in his career. That's cool. Yeah, I did Mark, not know Mark, that. Mark had some nice moments as a big leaguer. Last one. I think this, I think he was from Lamar, Lamar, Colorado. Yes. Lamar, Lamar's like Curacao, man. Every other kid in Lamar is like a six, eight pitcher who throws gasoline. Yep. So Scott Ellerton. Scott Ellerton, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You nailed it. Was that all my trivia? I, I think so. I, I think I'm I'm all out. Oh, I do have I do have one more. If you've got time for it, do you want? Yeah, to? let me go. Let, let, all right. What do you got? What city has produced the most Rockies? There's two. The top two are Dallas, Texas, and San Diego, California. Who's got more? Twelve to eight. It's twelve to eight. Oh, wait, wait, so wait. Dallas and San Diego are second on the list. No, they're they're one and two. They're okay, one and two at, top few me. cities who have produced the most Rockies as babies in their various okay, hospitals. So what, what's the question then? So get, what, yeah. which of those two cities? Has oh, produced oh, oh which is number Rockies? one? I'm sorry. Yes. I thought you said Dallas. But I'll say, oh, wow. Dallas is bigger than San Diego. San Diego, Cal, you know, California, a lot of baseball players. You want to get this one right. I know you do. You want to go out on a high note. I want to go out. I'm going to go San Diego. Drew Goodman. You are correct. San Let's Diego, go. 12 to 8. Got it. 12 to 8. Now, Dallas has the better players. Top three being Charlie Blackman, Jason Jennings, David Mead. And, but San Diego's got the 12. Connor Joe, Ty Wigington, Jim Tatum, 
Now, did you did you include Trevor Story in the Dallas Metroplex? No, he was not born properly in in Dallas. He wasn't He's, born properly, or, or he wasn't born in Denver or Dallas. Properly. <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, who's this? I wasn't there, Drew. Right so there. I have sources that say it may have been a little bit of both, but no, okay. he wasn't born in Boom Dallas okay. proper. Okay, there we go. That's a good question, man. All of those were good. Those were fun. All right, and then next week I will come back with all of the data on the exact hospitals, the temperature at which they were born. Yeah, you know me, the hey, we'll do all me, and Mar- me and Marquis. That's it. Three best hitting pitchers in the history of the Rockies. Ready, go. This is subjective. Herman Marquez, Jason Jennings, and I'm going to assume you're going to say Jason Marquis. So, Jason Marquis. Except you're forgetting probably the guy that that would be number one. Mike, Mike Hampton. Hampton. Yeah, you're hit right. Six, hit six homers one year. Yeah. That's pretty – think about it. You're getting a start once a week, basically, and you hit six homers. It was only here for two years, too. So, I mean, he's, yeah. got, he's got a lot of those records. He has a lot of those records. But uh, the, the, those three, Herman, um, you know, Jennings could really hit. So Ian Desmond has a lot of homers for a pitcher. Drew Butera. Uh, yeah. Desmond also probably has the distinction of throwing the hardest pitch – Patrick by a non-pitcher in the history of the Rockies. I believe I'm trying to remember. I know he touched 93. I'm trying to think if he touched 95. I know he was kind of working, you know, when he was out there, um, you know, in the low nineties. Shows, right. shows you how good an athlete uh, a lot of these guys are obviously. And, and well, do we know if Desmond's retired because there still might be another Montreal expo hanging around there. We were here. We're all excited about Tom Brady being the last one. Technically he was, speaking, he's he out there. Retired. I know. Technically speaking. Yeah. Let's see if that gets as much news coverage as TV 12. We'll see. But you know what? Next week, we'll come back. We'll do a whole show on the scouting reports on the Rockies position players who've pitched. I'll be excited. I'm going to be leaning on you for that one. you got to okay. bring the scouting reports. Uh, we'll we'll have fun there. with that. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Drew Goodman podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Drew Goodman 42. I'm at Patrick D Lyons on Twitter, along with at DNVR underscore Rockies. Thanks again. 50 cents for your first month at the DNVR.com. Make sure you are signed up and subscribe. So for DNVR sports, he's Drew Goodman. I'm Patrick Lyons. This has been fun this week, but you know what they say about momentum. It's only as good as tomorrow's podcast. I'll talk to you next week.